We're the Nada Grande Boys. I'm Rodney Wood. And I'm Kyle Jackson. Welcome to the Nada Grande Outdoors podcast where we hunt it forward. <coughs> way, way to start us off, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, guys, today we are here with Kerry Maurer. He's the Wildlife Health Specialist for the New Mexico Department of Game and Fish. Uh, very knowledgeable person. He's got a doctorate from Ohio State, so we'll call him Dr. Kerry Maurer. Uh, give him the respect that he's due. Welcome, Kerry. Good to be here. Uh, we appreciate you coming and, and sitting with us and uh, uh, just having, talking about deer. Yeah, talking about deer, elk, elk, whatever else we want to talk about today. That's kind of how we do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Squirrels. We talk about a lot of squirrels. <laughs> the, the proverbial squirrel. Right. The, mm-hmm. uh, occasionally we talk about the real squirrels, but not yeah. too much. No. <laughs> not too much. So, Carrie, uh, give us a little bit of background. Where you come from? Uh, what, you know, uh, what got you to where you're at? Well, I, uh, I was born in a hunting family. When I was when I was young, I hunted with my my uh, my dad and my grandfather. Mm-hmm. They took us a lot, and so as I grew up, I I kind of couldn't see myself doing anything except working in the outdoors and and hopefully with wildlife. And uh, I went uh, I went to school and got uh, one degree from uh, Utah State, and then I went to Brigham Young University and for a master's degree uh, back to uh, Ohio State for a PhD. Now, I'm going to jump in here real quick. I guess I don't know this. I've known you for, for almost 10 years now. Yeah. Um, you're originally from... So, so, uh, so my family's from Utah. Okay. And, and I lived in Utah uh, until I was uh, 12. Uh, at 12, my dad, who worked for the Forest Service, took a transfer and we moved up to uh, Jackson, Wyoming. Mm-hmm. So I went through high school in, oh, tough place in to Jackson. Be. Yeah, yeah, it was <laughs> it was hard. It was hard. Uh, so so uh, I graduated from high school there, uh, and and then went to college. And of course, of course, in Jackson, you're you're exposed to just all kinds of outdoor things right. and lots of hunting, lots of wildlife. Yeah. My dad took me out uh, a lot. Uh, and, and we, we hunted uh, elk together. And uh, as, as a teenager, I only lived from one hunting season to the, to the next. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we uh, can understand that. Yeah, that I, I, that's, uh, Kyle, Kyle gives me a lot of uh, grief because the second this year's hunting season ends, I'm already started planning next year's because yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he has to because if we if we ran by the way that I do things, we'd be uh, throwing stuff in the truck at the last minute. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad that we we kind of work well together because yeah. of that. Because right. he does yeah. all the planning and and then, <laughs> right, and right. then you know he says, I, just I, tell I make me. him I make him execute it. Yeah, and he says just tell me where and <laughs> when. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. So so you got your master's degree from BYU from, and. From BYU, and then I went back to Ohio State uh, for a PhD, and I thought that I would uh, be a professor in a wildlife program at some university, and uh, 
I came out just before I finished the degree and, mm -hmm. and worked for Game and Fish on contract. And, and uh, just right after I, I defended uh, my, my thesis and cleared everything to graduate, uh, Game and Fish offered me the job uh, that I'm still in. <laughs> nice. So, so they offered me a job. I took it, and I never done anything else. So it's really funny because um, when I got done with my master's degree at New Mexico State, uh, I had several people uh, talking to me about doing a doctorate, and uh, I had almost the exact opposite reaction that you had. I, you know, I looked at a lot of the stuff that you could do with a doctorate and a lot of it was academia and I thought oh no way am I going to do that and so <laughs> I just cut it off right there finished with the masters I'm glad I did it but you know I'm, it, I don't know if it's done me a whole lot of good yeah. up till now but yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, or if it ever will but they can't take it away from me you well know? right right you, you, the, the thing about the thing about education in my opinion uh, it it may not earn you a lot of money but but the education should be its own reward mm -hmm. and, yeah. you, and you have to treat it that way you really do yeah. and uh, and so I do uh, I think I think my PhD has opened a lot of doors and has helped me understand a lot of things uh, but it hasn't earned me huge amounts of money <laughs> yeah and that's fine that's, that's okay. yeah that's okay yeah very good uh, yeah, I guess I so like I said, I've, I've known you for a long time, and uh, I guess didn't didn't really know a lot about your background. So that's that's interesting to interesting to hear about. And so your uh, official title is wildlife health specialist, right? Uh, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it used to mean in the department uh, that that we kind of kept track of of importations. And we set criteria for for bringing wildlife into the state, and we did that uh, mostly for uh, game parks, but also for things like circus acts and the mm -hmm. state fair. They bring wildlife in, and so we would uh, make sure that they complied with a lot of our health requirements. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, when wasting disease started to get a lot of attention. About the year 2000, actually a little, a little bit before that, uh, the general public started to be more aware of wildlife health, mm -hmm. wildlife disease. And, and so uh, the Game and Fish, New Mexico Game and Fish, responded to that. And so my duties uh, at that time kind of increased, and I, I guess I'm kind of uh, proud of the fact that we began actually doing surveillance for wasting disease uh, in the 1990s. And you're talking about chronic wasting chronic disease. Chronic wasting yes. disease. You know, that's, that's right. It, um, I got to throw this in there. One of those squirrels we talked about, you know, that we're going to talk about. Uh, have, you, have you heard that, like, recently there? The news is calling it the zombie deer disease, you know? The zombie deer. Which is yeah. hilarious because they're not zombies you know but right but yeah it's I, I find it really every every time somebody says that I'm like no that's that's not yeah. not good information <laughs> no. please don't go by that yeah well I and, and I tried to find out where that report actually originated mm -hmm. and and it it hit uh, the news wires 
and was was passed around so fast that by the time it it really hit the air, no one really uh, could tell me who who wrote the initial report. But because it was called zombie deer disease, it got a lot of attention, and oh. I think a lot of un, undue attention. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Sure, I'm sure it. Uh, you know, something like that just blows up the the media because it's yeah. such a buzz. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was it was a sensational story. And yeah, exactly. It could grab people's attention, and so they all ran with yeah. it. Yeah, and especially in this current culture, where it seems every other TV show right now is about zombies. So. <laughs> right, that's true too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So back to the chronic wasting disease. Uh, you, your job kind of started to change in the two thousands when that when that became a public. <coughs> right, because public, you know because wasting disease caught people's attention, and then. Uh, they began to kind of be concerned and question uh, other wildlife diseases. And, and a lot of these wildlife diseases uh, are shared by wildlife and livestock. Mm -hmm. and, and so... So give so, us an example of that. Tuberculosis and brucellosis. Okay. So those, those, those two diseases are, are uh, really important in the agricultural community. States can, can eradicate those diseases and when they do, it makes it real easy for a stockman to move livestock across state borders. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, they save a lot of money. Now, if a state detects brucellosis or tuberculosis in their state, then, then livestock can't ship as freely. Yeah. Uh, and it costs producers an awful lot of money because, yeah. because at that point, they have to test every animal. Which which runs up the cost of moving moving uh, cattle. And right. so, how do you livestock. tie that to wildlife? And so so, uh, deer and elk are also susceptible to tuberculosis and brucellosis, and those two diseases are are still a problem in wildlife in certain parts of the country, and where they are a problem, uh, it affects their their livestock industry and affects the overall state economy. As an example, uh, I'll, I'll mention uh, Michigan, where the white-tailed deer serve as a reservoir for tuberculosis. Because it's not treated like it is in... Can't treat Can't it. treat it like yeah. you can in livestock, because nope. you can't run them through the chutes and do, so, do stuff so like that. Yeah, circulates among the deer. This, this brings up a really interesting, um, <clears throat> I guess, sidebar in that Rodney and I have been talking, you know, been doing this podcast for... I don't know, six, eight months now, and we were, we're always talking about how the agricultural community and the wildlife community are closer, more closely connected than they ever thought, and that they were oftentimes should be standing on the same ground fighting for the same thing, and this kind of is an example of that, where um, wildlife and, and, and livestock uh, sharing those diseases is, you know, is that's that connection where we can stand on the right. same side yeah. and fight for the right. same thing, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right, right. Uh, and and uh, you have that in Michigan, but it's it's such such a bad problem in in stockyards. So so in some of those stockyards and dairies, uh, they have feeder bunks that are on the outside of the fences, and so as as uh, the livestock guys uh, feed those cows. They just put the feed in the bunks. Well, in, in Michigan, the deer come out of the, the forest, and then they come and share 
the, the feed, feed of cows. With the cows. And so, so, then so that's going to be translate, transmitted through the saliva. Exactly. So they're eating the same feed and yeah, trans, yeah. transmit that from the reservoir of the wild deer, transmits into the, into the cattle. Right. right. Of course, then um, mm -hmm. it's likely to spread quickly because they're in a confined space, lots right. of animals eating right. the same food. Right. And so now you've got tuberculosis uh, in livestock, and, and at that point, those animals can't ship freely across state lines. Uh, so any time those stockmen want to move an animal to slaughter or to a sale, it has to go with the test. And uh, tuberculosis tests are, are notoriously difficult to do, uh, and the results are not, not completely reliable with tuberculosis. Mm -hmm. And so, so you have to be really, really careful, and uh, our health authorities watch that really closely. Now, is there a reason for that? Um, not knowing, I mean, I grew up in the livestock industry. I know, you know, a good amount about vaccinations, about, you know, testing for all these diseases. But you would think that the technology and the, and the, and the time has been there for them to develop ways to detect this reliably. And it's weird that, it, that, that they kind of can't. Well, it, uh it is, and it has to do with uh, with the testing, and and uh, with tuberculosis, they they uh, can do a blood test. Now that blood test isn't completely reliable, uh, but there's also a skin test that they do, and that skin test tends to be uh, overly sensitive, and so when they apply that, uh, they they will. Uh, have animals react to the, the tuberculin that they put into the skin. Mm -hmm. And those animals who react uh, don't always have the disease. And so in the end, the, the very best way and the only positive way to detect tuber tuberculosis is in the, in the carcass to look at the uh, tu uh, tuberculosis lesions inside that animal. And then they culture uh, the bacteria that it has uh, grown inside the animal, and then they know for sure that they have it. Uh, so, so the tests are are not sensitive enough, or sometimes overly sensitive, and and uh, that that makes for for some uncertainty in the testing. Now, before we get any anybody out there in listening land to. Uh, crazy concerned about this we're talking about a very small percentage of, of animals right. in right and all of that right it's so, not like it's a rampant problem no. in the livestock industry or no. or in no in the wildlife per se at yeah. all you know no and 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 uh, uh the u.s department of agriculture watches it really carefully uh and and we pretty much know where it is we know where it's circulating, and it doesn't just show up in in random places. Yeah, and, and I'm sure with your cattle industry, you know that's their livelihood. It behooves them to pay close attention oh, and absolutely. make sure that they keep it under wraps, so they don't have those issues with testing and shipping and right. stuff like that. So. Right, right, yeah, yeah. But when it breaks out, when they get it, when they get it in cattle, it's a it's a, a huge expense to eradicate it. Yeah. Because they, they pretty much have to eradicate uh, all of the cattle on that on that premises. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, hugely expensive. Yeah, and so back to the CWD. Um, there's actually, I guess, 
call kind of a version of that in cattle, uh, but as far as the theory goes, that's not transmitted between deer and cattle. The mad cow disease is kind of the, the livestock version of that in cattle. If, not, if I'm not uh, mistaken, there's one in sheep. Scrapies. 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 Scrapie and sheep, uh, uh, bovine spongiform uh, encephalopathy, BSE in cows, often called mad, mad cow, cow disease. disease, you're right. Uh, and, and, and CJD in humans. Yeah, yeah. Creutzfeldt Jakob disease yeah. mm -hmm. in humans. Uh, there's one that affects uh, cats. There's one that affects minks. Uh, mink. <laughs> minks. There's and there's another one uh, that that affected uh, uh, ruminants in zoos in Europe. Uh, and that one, that one was called uh, uh, exotic antelope encephalopathy or something like that. But those were mostly uh, African antelope in zoos in Europe, and, and it was tied into the mad cow disease outbreak in Europe. Gotcha. And then there's, there's, uh, there's in humans, uh, they're all called Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease or a variant. So, so in humans, so that uh, listeners don't worry too much, uh, Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease occurs without any cause and without any reason in about one person out of every one million in the country each year at, at about that rate uh, and there's no known reason. Uh, with the, the disease in sheep, scrapie, we know that, that uh, we have records of reports of this disease that go back maybe 400 years. People have lived with sheep, consumed sheep, at least that long. Uh, and, uh, and then the same kind of goes with the deer and chronic wasting disease. We know that those deer were first observed with the disease in the 1960s. We didn't know what it was, uh, but uh, uh, since then we've found out what it, what it was, but people have been consuming those uh, those game animals all of this time, and again with both species or uh, uh, with both diseases rather, there's no known human transmission of chronic wasting disease or scrapie from sheep to, to humans. Now, chronic wasting disease seems to be related to to sheep scrapie, not related to, uh, to bovine spongiform encephalopathy or BSE. Now, now that disease did make the jump from, from cattle byproducts to humans. Yeah. And, uh, and that was the big scare in the 1990s in mostly England, but it spread uh, through Europe a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we've had cases, a few cases in North America, mostly uh, in Canada, and uh, uh, I think I think we've had one or two in the United States. They've been mostly tied uh, to Canadian imports, but I think we might have had one that just showed up kind of for no reason in the United States. Hmm. Very interesting, very interesting. And that, that difference has to do with the, if, if I'm remembering correctly, I read up a little bit about this, the shape of the prions, The right? shape of the, of the prions, and you're the, right. The deer are, I don't remember if it's the deer, but like the, I think the deer is a loop prion, and then the cow is a hook prion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, 
Yeah, so. yeah, that's right. So yeah, they're they're not quite the same. Yeah, uh, and so so y you might be interested too that uh, when in this country, when a human dies of of CJD, mm -hmm. uh, they usually not always because it depends on family and, mm -hmm. and belief systems and those kinds of things. But uh, but there are samples of that that deceased person's tissue that goes to a national laboratory where they look at, at just these kinds of things to see if it could be re related or a transmission from any of these animal diseases. So we actually have some personal, ex very personal very, experience very with personal this. Experience. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. As our, yes. our wives are our sisters and their father oh, actually oh, yeah. passed away from Creutzfeldt yeah, yeah. disease. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we—that's why Rodney has done such. You know, he's done some ex, some extensive research on it, because uh, you know there was there was some discussion and and belief that that possibly that had come from you know he our father-in-law did a lot of work with uh, wildlife on the missile range down there and et cetera et cetera. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We we've got some at least some knowledge yeah. of it and yeah. And, yeah. and understanding of. What you're actually talking yeah. about? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it, it yes. is it is a scary thing, you know, because, um, you know, when you have a family member pass away from something like that, you do have to consider, especially with our lifestyle. You know, we're hunters; we like to hunt. You know, so we're we're butchering carcasses in the field. We're consuming the meat when we bring it home. You know, we're cooking it in our pots and pans and eating it with our forks and knives. Um, and so, you know, you do want to do that research to verify, because I mean, yeah. my belief was, from what I had read, that it couldn't transmit. But then you have to get in there and, yeah. and verify, you know, for, for family members' peace of mind and stuff like yeah. that. But uh, so, yeah, I've done a lot of research on, on that. And like you said, to date, and of course that can change, but right. to date there's no proof that it can transfer Right, uh, right. From well, and coming back to right. you know what he talked about, that for at least four hundred years, the the sheep yeah. variant scrapies right. has been present, and we've been consuming that, and et cetera, et cetera. And um, yeah, maybe we just haven't figured out how to tell whether it has or not. But to date, it, it it's not what we can tell. It's not it's right, right. right. And, and people who look at at these data also uh, have compared the rates of Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease mm -hmm. because again you know it just it just happens yeah uh, they've looked at the rates of that among hunters and non-hunters and they can't they can't find a difference yeah in that yeah. so very interesting very interesting information um, <clears throat> so let's talk about New Mexico in and of itself What's I guess what's CWD doing in New Mexico? What are what's the department doing to kind of uh, because like we were talking about with the, the media, they can sensationalize a story and make it seem like it's a bigger problem than it is, and then everybody gets up in arms, etc. Uh, like that. What what are we looking like in New Mexico? Well, in New Mexico, uh, we knew about about chronic wasting disease. Mm -hmm. Not a lot. It, it was a kind of this mysterious, strange disease that sure. we read about, but it was in Colorado, and that wasn't very far. So, so as I mentioned, in the 1990s, uh, we, we took a few uh, deer 
I was sent out on, on uh, one case at one point uh, when we would have reports of really poor looking deer. So we'd go out and collect those animals and test them. So we started doing that for suspect deer back in the 1990s. And uh, chronic wasting disease really kind of uh, became more widely known in conjunction with mad cow disease in Europe, mm -hmm. and mostly, mostly the very, very end of the 90s and the early 2000s. Uh, and so uh, in New Mexico, we stepped up our surveillance uh, at, that, at that point, and it was in uh, 2002 that we detected the first case. That case came from uh, a really poor, poor looking deer that was hanging around the houses and the buildings at the uh, headquarters of White Sands Missile Range. Mm -hmm. So we collected that, we tested, uh, it went to Wyoming. Uh, the test was done by uh, Dr. Beth Williams. And it was Dr. Williams who actually was the person that recognized that wasting disease, which was called a syndrome at the time, what was actually a prion-caused disease. Mm -hmm. And so she actually uh, did the testing, looked at the tissue, and called me on the phone and said we had it. Uh, and then we, uh, we mounted some effort to step, our, uh, step up our surveillance on White Sands. And we, we found more. We found it uh, kind of occurring on White Sands, on the Missile Range, uh, and up into the Oregon Mountains. We found it north of Highway 70, uh, only a, only a couple of times, so it doesn't go very far north, uh, we don't think. We caught a lot of deer, tested in the San Andres Mountains. We just didn't find anything up in there, so it has been limited mostly to the southern part of White Sands Missile Range. But a couple of years later, we had another uh, really poor, poor deer in the southern Sacramento's in, in Timberon. We tested that one, and that came back uh, positive. And so since that time, we have tested uh, a lot in Unit 34, Sacramento Mountains, and then also an awful lot of testing in Unit uh, 28, the McGregor Range of Fort Bliss, which is the southern foothills of the Sacramento Mountains. Mm -hmm. And the way it looks right now uh, is that in Unit 34, uh, chronic wasting disease seems to kind of be present, and we don't we don't uh, find a case every single year, uh, but, but when we do, it seems to be kind of maybe radiating outward a little bit. So it moved from Timberon north uh, up into that area, and uh, I, there have been, there's, it, it has been detected, I don't know how many cases uh, on the Mescalero Reservation now, Mescalero Apaches, they've found it there on their tribal lands. Uh, and as far as near Mayhill, around Mayhill, we've got uh, we've got one positive case, but not very many. And and so so uh, from since 2002, the total number of positive cases in New Mexico right now numbers in the 60s, and uh, the total number of free ranging elk where we found wasting disease is. I remember right, uh, six. All the all the rest of the cases have been have been deer. You have to remember too that 
that uh, we're testing uh, hunter, hunter kills for hunters who participate, but we're out there uh, checking and testing every abnormal animal that gets reported to us. And so every time we have an odd animal, uh, we collect it and we test for wasting disease. Any animal that goes to the lab, we test for wasting disease. And so that, that's going to bias our sample upwards because, because we're testing the suspect deer and it's, so it's not a random sample. Gotcha. How, how, many, um, how many tests do you think you've done? I mean, if you're in the 60s oh. for deer, how many tests? Uh, since 2002, I just was uh, looking at that and, and our number, uh, my number in my database is, is right up around four or 5,000. Oh, nice. So that's then. a very large and, and all of it is. and all of it's kind of localized down there. Yeah, there's nothing yes. been found north. No, well, no, no, nothing found north. There was, there was, uh, uh, there was, there was a case I don't talk about a lot. <laughs> Are we breaking your silence here? No, no, it's twisting his arm. It's, it's, it's <laughs> public information. I don't talk about it a whole lot. When we started doing a lot of surveillance for wasting disease. Uh, at, at the time, we were kind of figuring out how to do it, and uh, we use a biopsy instrument to take, to take that little uh, sample out. And we didn't know, we, we knew that straight, straight Clorox would inactivate a prion. Uh, it also eats up your instrument, too. And so, so we were trying to find other ways to decontaminate our, our instruments. And uh, we had we we went up around Stallion Gate, and we collected a few deer, tested, and a couple of years later we had a positive there. So so we went back uh, to Stallion Gate, and I did this work. We flew Stallion Gate, and we think we we darted and tested uh, every single animal there. The one that came up positive was a, was a carcass. Uh, but we, we went back into that herd. We caught, we think, every single animal and tested and didn't find any more there. So, so that animal uh, may have, it, it may have been sporadic, but more likely I put it there. Human error transfer yes. from your yeah. instruments. Yeah, yeah, called uh, I, iatrogenic uh, transmission. So from, from my instrument, I, your, I infected your wife, the deer. Would, your wife would like talking to him. He's got Absolutely. She's, <laughs> she's a big word, clinical. Yeah. She, she's in the medical field, and she, she speaks to me in fluent medical, and I know nothing of what she says. <laughs> yeah. But it, so... So, so nothing no, like way north, no, north I forty anything no, like no, that. No, never, and, never anything else. And I find either. that I find that so interesting because, I mean, just if if you're just thinking about it, with Colorado having so much, a lot of those deer migrate out of Colorado right. and into the northern state. You would right. think that that would be the place that you're going to find something. But you, no, you're you, finding you it down here. You would. Uh, but but so to address that. Those places where all those animals are streaming into New Mexico, we test hard in those mm -hmm. areas. So, so uh, I, I do it partly because it's easy to do. We've got like, mm -hmm. like limited access there, so I can see all the hunters. But we, we test every single year, and we test a lot of those animals. We don't find anything. It seems from Colorado to move a little bit to the south every single year, but, uh, but so far... I don't think we've had anything come from Colorado, Colorado into New Mexico. 
But of those, uh, of those places I've talked about, we do have, I think, a pretty high prevalence rate on the McGregor Range. So, so on McGregor, uh, we, we issue uh, 20 civilian licenses and 20 military licenses. So there's 40 licenses. Uh, and, and I think you can drop out at least four to six people every year that don't hunt. Mm -hmm. The, the uh, harvest rate is pretty high there. And so I, I'm able to test usually uh, around 20, 20 or so deer every year. And I pretty much get one or two positives every single year out of McGregor. Wow. Unit 34 I don't, down on, on organs in Unit 19. I haven't had a positive out of Unit 19 for quite a few years. But, but on McGregor I get a couple every single year. Wow. Kind of interesting. Um, Any theories on why that is? You, is no, that like an isolated population? Or? No, they're, 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 you know, they're a little bit isolated because they're, they're kind of out on the desert a little bit, but they could move up into Unit 34 easy enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just right up to Tembron and they could. Pinon and they could very easily. I don't, but I don't think they do much probably, for some reason. Probably not. Because and and they're, I they're say probably, that they're probably like the 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 snowbirds down in, in Crucis and they're like, yeah, oh, it's too cold there. I can't go up that's there right right <laughs> that's right well over over my years of of handling deer uh, there on McGregor they tend to be the desert race of mule deer they run mm -hmm. a little bit smaller yeah. and they're they're just different from the deer up higher in unit 34 so very interesting I don't think I don't think there's there's a lot of interaction interaction yeah now that. So also down down in that area, so they have you know there's a lot of Barbary down in there. Yeah, and then there's also Bighorn right. uh, on the missile range. Right. So how about those herds? Are there, are there a lot of is there a lot of scrapies in those herds? Do y'all test the Barberies? So so uh, Barberies, I can't tell you. I can't tell you the the taxon that they come from, mm -hmm. but they're not they're not really a sheep. Okay. So, and they're they're uh, they're not a they're not an antelope, but they're not a sheep, and uh, they're not a deer. So they they are from their own family. So they're 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 quite uh, distantly related. So we don't expect to find scrapie or wasting disease in Barbary sheep. Okay. Uh, and and uh, bighorn sheep are sheep, and and pres uh, presumably. Scrapie could transfer to bighorn sheep, but we don't know of any cases where that's ever happened. We we think that it could, but gotcha. uh, but we don't know of any cases. And so as, and as I understand, the the department's extremely um, wary of that. Uh, yeah, they've got the bighorns up yeah. there in the Taos Gorge, and they there there's been some some that have been looking at moving north, and we. Right, don't let trying them. to keep right. them from doing that because there are lots of sheep herds in the San right. Luis Valley. Exactly, and so and so we we're we've been trying to do that, uh, and we've used sport hunting to keep those populations low, right there where the bighorn sheep are trying to move north. Yeah, yeah. and and I think that's uh, that's excellent management on our part, and I think it's a, a great way to involve sportsmen and give some more sportsmen. Uh, act, uh, opportunities for people to take a bighorn sheep. Absolutely. So yeah, it's, it's really I think a pretty neat thing. Mm -hmm. Good. Good. 
<clears throat> so, I know that we've had, there's a lot of weird stuff that can happen with, with wildlife diseases. I know, um, you know, there's there's some deer up north, or there's several deer up north that they get these growths on them. Yeah. And people get real worried yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. uh, what is that? So, so it's called, uh, it's called a, a fibroma. Uh, and it's caused by a papilloma virus, and uh, and and people do get really worried, and and because some of them look pretty grotesque. Yes, yes. And I, and I had one that came from the Armadares uh-huh. uh, just a few weeks ago, that was uh, almost a solid, huge tumor. It's the whole deer. It was one one of the worst I've seen, and uh, and so for that reason. We took it into the lab and had them look at it to see if if, if it was anything other than papillomavirus, and uh, the the lab report just came back and and it indeed was just a papillomavirus, just but an extreme case. Yeah. Now the interesting thing about that uh, is that it's a virus that they probably pick up from the environment, so that's why you see pockets of it. Yeah. So you've got places where the virus is actually on the substrate, out uh, on the rocks or the trees or something, mm-hmm. and they brush against it with a cut, and then they get uh, they get the virus in their system that way. So I know we've got a little pocket of it in Cimarron, Philmont area. Yeah. We've got a little pocket of it in Raton. Now, uh, <clears throat> these are areas that are highly or densely populated with deer uh, within fairly close proximity to each other and so I think that's probably why we have such an occurrence there yeah because all those deer are rubbing on right. different stuff different and things and, and there are so many of them that it, that the virus gets shed and, and it's left on the environment and uh, so in, in most now cases, how long does that so let's say it gets left on the environment how long does it how long is it viable I don't know <laughs> that's, a, that's a great I don't know <laughs> I, I don't know I don't know how long <laughs> I'm going to have to chuckle about that for a minute because that, that was an emphatic I don't know <laughs> well and, and it's uh, you know that's okay yeah. I mean there are just some things we don't know there's yeah. stuff that pops up you're like mm-hmm. yeah. it's, it's much yeah yeah yeah, well, see, and, and then most of the deer get it, and they, and they get these growths, usually, usually on their face, on their shoulders, and sometimes mm-hmm. on their back legs, and usually it's it's uh, uh, it makes you a little uneasy, but it doesn't hinder their their life. They go about their business. Uh, uh, and is so, there is there any effect on meat things no, like that? No, no, and so so it's a fibroma, but it's often called a cutaneous fibroma. That means that it's confined to the skin. Yeah. 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 So so for hunters, uh, when they skin that animal out, then those tumors will fall away right with the skin as they skin it. (laughs) If there's a tumor and it doesn't fall away with the skin and it looks like that that lesion goes deeper into the meat it's not a cutaneous fibroma. It's something else. Probably ought to get that tested. Ought to get that tested. You might want to get that looked at. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Now, I've never seen anything like okay. that. All of the ones I've looked at have all come off right with the skin. And that virus, um, 
non-transferable to humans. Non-transferable to humans, but it's related to the human virus that causes warts. Yeah, so, <laughs> and that's kind of what I've always heard it called. Yeah, the, 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 yeah. Got these warts. Warts. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, right. And cattle get the same thing. You know. You yeah. The cattle with the yeah. warts and things yeah. like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Now with deer, they'll go away. If the deer really, if it does not know that. Yeah. If it if if it uh, doesn't impinge on their survival. And the only way it can it can affect their survival is if it gets really bad enough to occlude their vision. Uh huh. I've seen that. You yeah. Know, one they can't fall see. Falling over, covering right. an eye, something like that. Cover an eye. They can't see, or it gets in the way of their foraging on their face. Okay. Hmm. Then then they can be compromised. So how long would it would they have something like that? It could be it could be as long as a year, but but typically then they will recede and go away. If, if the deer can survive, they'll recede and go away. So, which, which is, so yeah. interesting thing, because, I mean, for, you know, for, from my perspective, had I never been told that, if I see that deer, I'm going to want to take it, get it out of the herd, but probably just probably leave it. Just go yeah, just yeah, leave it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe come find it again next year. And then, and then once those uh, tumors go away, that leaves that animal uh, immune. To the virus. Oh, oh there you go. So there you go. it won't it won't get it again. So. Yeah. So that's interesting to to think about because uh, you know the the deer up there. If you hear about one that's got a real bad case of it, uh, I know people will call incessantly yeah. to the to to the to the local game board and say you got to do something about this, and so. Man, that's that's yeah. really good information for yeah. people to know that it's not going to. I mean, yeah, you might lose one deer out of the herd to a lion yeah. or something like that, but it's not going to uh, be a lifelong right. problem. Right. Yeah. Right. That's right. interesting. Very, very interesting. Yeah, and there's a there's another form of that that papillomavirus that uh, wolves and dogs get. They often get it uh, around their their eyelid. And, and they'll get a, a little tumor. And then, and, and I mention this because I had a dog that got one and, uh, and got a little tumor. And within a month, it receded, went away, and, and never had another Never again. Never had a problem. Huh. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, I'm thinking of a couple of years ago, uh, there was a big story about a bunch of elk that died up north. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And... Tell us about that, because that was a really weird deal. Yeah, it was it was weird enough, and it wasn't necessarily a disease, right? No, well, it was in, it was a disease, an illness. It was an acute illness, but yeah, it was weird enough that uh, that all of the UFO organizations picked it up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and well, there was do we know how many of those are in New Mexico? There's probably a few. Yeah. Probably, knowing that we have Roswell and all of that. And it was all over the news. You know, I remember that story. Right. And, and right. for It was for, the zombie deer. They right. killed all the, all the elk. Yeah, right. All the elk. <laughs> right. But yeah, when something like that um, makes, you know, your, your news, you know, because you know, typically wildlife stuff doesn't really make the news. But that one was a big deal. It was did. all over the place. So, and that was up on that was up on a ridge top mm-hmm. and uh, uh, on on private land, north of Mora, and 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 that the substrate was all volcanic, and so so kind of in the background, uh, one one of the uh, TV helicopters flew up and shot some footage, and in the background, 
is is a big hole where the the uh, the volcano caved in, and so it left it left in the in the images sort of something that looks like a dark circle back in the background. <laughs> <laughs> and so all of the UFO yeah. people <laughs> called it a crop circle. Ah, uh, oh, you nice. know, never mind. There's no crops. There's no crops. <laughs> just no crops. Just grass. It's just grass. Just open range. So. So uh, that was that was a strange case, and uh, that was reported uh, uh, by by ranch personnel. And we went up, and we found all of those carcasses. And we took immediately. We took some tissues and some samples. There were something like sixty animals or something there. So the next day, I went back up, and 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 well, it was actually the first day. The ranch hands that found it. as I started to take the tissues, uh, this there were so many dead, and the smell was so bad, they were they'd have to step away and, and, and vomit because it it really bothered them. Right. And so finally, I looked at them and I said, "You guys just go count as many as you can count." And they gladly were happy to do step that. away from step the away. death and carnage and just just <laughs> focus on and count. See how many there are. They counted 113. Oh yeah, Ooh, that was wow. way off. Yeah, 113. Samson, I, I was <laughs> way off. <laughs> so I think I think if they missed a few, they didn't miss very many. So I would say there were not more than 120. Okay, but there were that many, uh, and they were scattered kind of all across the ridge top and down into the trees. And uh, we we looked at at all kinds of ways they could have been killed. We looked at uh, at lightning strike. We looked at uh, nitrate poisoning. Uh, we we looked at uh, blue tongue EHD. I thought that's really what it was. We looked at that. And what causes that? And, and that is caused by a biting midge. So this was in September, uh-huh. and EHD always peaks in September. And, and it's a virus related to blue tongue. And it, it, uh, it advan- the, d- the disease advances really fast, and they can die within, within some hours with that mm. disease. Mm. And so it's, it's virulent, and, and it could look the same way. It, it, it could cause that kind of a big die-off. It could. So back in the in the Midwest where they have real problems with EHD, they'll have big die-offs of thousands of mm. white-tailed deer. Yeah, and and so and of course I took the tissues that would be diagnostic of of uh, EHD and blue tongue, spleen and lungs and those kinds of things, uh, and we took that all out, and I went down. It it was we were north of Mora, and. Uh, I finished taking all of those samples kind of late in the day, and so I drove south, and I knew that this was important, and I knew that I, I needed to get uh, people alerted so that we could have things moving the next morning, so mm-hmm. we could get more counts, we could get the lab ready. So, so I called the emergency number for our veterinary lab, uh, and and I got the pathologist, and I said, John. What could cause 120 elk to die like that? And he said, "Well, you know, he he's he's very polite, and he didn't want to say, you idiot, to me." <laughs> <laughs> so he hemmed and hawed and said, "Well, 
anthrax good. <laughs> and I thought, I thought, there I'd been up to my elbows in blood and opening all those carcasses and, and exposing myself to all of the gas and my heart just sank. I thought, I thought, what an idiot I was. <laughs> so, so what happened then, uh, because of the, of the potential for it to be anthrax, uh, I took all of, all of those samples. It was late at night, so I took them all to the lab early, early the next morning. And the lab cleared all of their testing for the, for the morning. And they took those samples in and they started anthrax testing immediately. And so, for, and that was just for me. Yeah, that was just, just for me to make sure that you were <laughs> yeah. going to be okay, man. You yeah. bet, I bet you felt special, right? Well, I did, I did, and, um, and I've always appreciated those people. So, a lot of people out there will probably just associate anthrax with you know people making threats of sending yeah. powder in the mail. So, yeah. explain a little bit about how anthrax can be kind of naturally occurring and, yeah. and do something like that. Yeah, anthrax. Anthrax uh, forms a spore and is often in the soil, and and uh, in places like New Mexico, it can get uh, picked up and be airborne. Uh, those spores, and when that happens, uh, and animals breathe it or humans breathe it, then then uh, the the bacteria become active again and are deadly, and they 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 kill everything that they're in. There was a case in. In, around Raton, that uh, Dr. Jansen was the one that, that made that call. That's been 30 years ago, though. Yeah. But, uh, but that was a, a brilliant call on his part up around Raton. So, see, we know we've got anthrax around there. In Texas, back in uh, the early 1900s, 1920s and 30s, uh, they had some problems with Texas in cattle. And so they used to dig these big, huge pits. They'd kill all those cows. Uh, drop them in the pits and then they had to burn them all up because they were trying to get burn rid of the anthrax. anthrax. <laughs> and because it's, it can be airborne and dust borne. We're walking on a death planet. Right. <laughs> we are. Well, it, uh, it was called also uh, wool handler's disease because, because in the big shearing sheds, the, the wool would collect the dust and they'd pick up all those, the wool and throw it in the big bags and those bags were about six feet high. And then they would have one person whose job it was to crawl up into the wool sacks and they would tromp them and try to, to stuff all that wool down in those bags. And that person, along with some of the sheep shears, but mostly that person stomping the bags would sometimes come down with what they called wool handler's disease. And it was anthrax. Hmm. Yeah. So, and and, and there, are, there are different strains of anthrax. Some of them are lethal. Some of them call, cause lesions on skin and, and don't kill a person. But if you inhale it, you're probably, it's probably going to kill you. Huh. And so, so that's why it was such a, a, a nice thing for the terrorists Larry. to use in letters. Oh, they yeah. used to send letters with anthrax in them. Right. So, so what ended up becoming of those, so, those elk? So in the end, in the end, uh, we sent we sent some tissues off to uh, Kansas State and some water, and they were able to identify uh, a cyanobacteria from the water. Uh, the genus is called is is called Anabena, A N A B. A-E-N-A, -A, Anabena. And, and, and this, this genus of cyanobacteria uh, uh, with their metabolism c 
can produce a really toxic poison, a neurotoxin. And it, it's very short-lived and it can happen in the water and it can be there at one point and then it can be gone 15 minutes later. It's the, the poison called anatoxin A uh, is, is a very unstable molecule. But it's so potent that, that uh, uh, security and, mil and mil military in our country looked at it as, a, as, as something that could be weaponized. But it's so unstable they could never, they yeah. could never do it because it, it uh, comes and goes. So, so when they found uh, that anabina, and, and when you look at the, uh, the symptoms of cyanobacteria poisoning, it seemed to be really consistent. And so we declared it to be a, a, an, a blue-green algae poisoning. Now, our evidence for that is, is, is uh, circumstantial. Uh, but it all fits. It just fits better than anything else. Yeah. So, so subsequent to that, I talked with a lot of the people in the area. Uh, this was a Tuesday because you made the phone call, Kyle. Yeah. So, so it was a Tuesday uh, that they found these animals, and then I went up Tuesday afternoon, and they. So when I got there, the animals appeared to have been dead. Really, no more. Than, than a day, probably less than 24 hours. And so, so a lot of people had seen the elk uh, on Sunday morning out on the flats feeding. And so, so I think what happened, now another part of this before I finish is that there were no cattle up in this area, but there was water in the water troughs. There hadn't been cattle for a year. And so this water had sat in these water troughs for, for about a year. So there's lots of algae and lots yeah. of green in, in that water. So I think what happened uh, uh, from the reports of these people was on Sunday morning, all these elk were, were out feeding. And when they were done, like ungulates do, they, they filed uh, up into the trees to shade up and then mm -hmm. ruminate. Cows do it, sheep do it, elk do it, every, all ungulates do that. And so, I, so as I looked at the lay of the land, so take a note, you hunters, if you if you're not an astute observer of the wildlife, that's what they do. They'll feed, and they'll feed go right. the trees, shade up, and they'll shade feed up. <laughs> so, so I, I I looked at the shape of the landscape, and it and and there was a, a low spot right by this one water trough that that, that had the anabina in it. Uh, it was kind of a low spot, and the landscape kind of directed the animals to file by that that trough. I think they filed by, and, and I've watched cows do it, I've watched sheep do it, they go out, eat, and then on their way to go shade up, they take a drink of water. Take a drink. Mm -hmm. yeah. They could take a drink. I think that's what they did. They all took a drink, and I think they were dead within 12 hours of hmm. taking that drink of water. Hmm. Wow. So. It's interesting, uh, you know, talking about this is kind of a theory that we have, uh, for people to realize and remember that the 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 way science kind of works is you don't ever really prove anything you disprove, you disprove other it. stuff yeah. right and so yeah. it's not anthrax it's not yeah. this yeah it's probably this right. we don't really know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly and so so see for that reason uh that's why 
uh, tobacco companies could deny cancer for so long. It's the same. Because they couldn't prove it. They couldn't prove it. Yeah, right. They could just Nobody disprove other stuff. Right. Yeah, it's funny. That's yeah. funny. Yeah, that was a that was a really really interesting uh, incident. Yeah. Um, so let's. What else we want to talk about? Man, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I, I got a question because so this guy is full of knowledge, right? I, right. I, I, every time I talk to him, I'm just thoroughly impressed and enjoy talking to him. I know I've said like ten words because I'm just sitting here listening. Um, so right now the hot topic in in animal diseases is as far as the community is CWD. Right. Is there anything else out there that's actually more concerning or more prevalent or you know that that your side of of the aisle thinks more about than than you know what the general public does? Uh, I think that CWD is rightfully a, a worry for us, mm-hmm. and and I say that partly because we don't really understand it fully, mm-hmm. uh, and because it seems to behave differently in 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 different places. Uh, but there are some others that that are as as big a problem, and we haven't we haven't dealt with them right now. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna mention a couple things that that keep me awake at, at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you follow if you follow some of the things that happen on happen up around Yellowstone, we've got brucellosis problems there, and that gets passed between livestock and bison. Yeah, they're big. Yeah, big problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, it it doesn't help. It doesn't help. It doesn't solve anything. The, the cattlemen are really mad about it, and and they they pay dearly, and it doesn't help for wildlife people to say, yeah, but you're the guys that brought it in in the first place. Yeah, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Start pointing fingers. That always That's solves right. things. Let's, let's, let's point That's fingers. Right. Let's, let's, yeah. let's exactly. fact find, not fault find. So, so uh, midnight transfer of of wildlife, and what I mean by that is illegal transport and release of wildlife. Mm-hmm that might bring something like that in, that really worries me. Something like, uh, like brucellosis uh, would be a, a real game changer for us in New Mexico. and Because uh, right now it's effectively eradicated from the state. It is, yeah. and, we, and we haven't had any for a long, long time. Yeah. Way back my, when... My dad was a livestock inspector, and so he dealt yeah. with that all the time. Yeah. And that's, that was a big deal. Yeah, it yep. is a big deal. And, and, and tuberculosis is too. Yeah. So... so that's it was because of tuberculosis uh, up north we had those elk show up around Clayton uh, and that was be I think before you came to work yeah and, and and these elk just showed up and they were hanging around houses and ranches and when you'd shake a can of corn they would follow you mm-hmm. and, and the uh, the cows had holes in their ears like where an ear tag had been removed uh, and we didn't know where they came from, and we never did. So I visited with the Livestock Board State Vet yeah. at the time, and since we didn't know where they had come from, no testing, uh, he wanted them removed. And so, so there were, I think, uh, 18, and, 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 and we just went up and killed them all and tested for TB. Didn't find any. And when I say tested, mm-hmm. we ran both tests, and we opened them all up and yeah. looked at them. 
Very interesting. But but that was a, that was a big concern, for sure. And I'm going to tell you one more, one more thing that worries me. Okay. Okay. So 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 there's one thing uh, that keeps me up at night worrying more mm -hmm. than anything else. And it's that there are some nasty, nasty, nasty uh, foreign animal diseases uh -huh. in other countries. And they would be, and I'm not going to talk about how you would do it, because it's not very hard. But Yeah, it would be like giving the, the terrorists the tools right, to do it. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. And, and, and uh, I don't want to do that, but it would be easy to do. It would... It would spread like wildfire, and it would cripple our economy in this whole country. And, uh, and so, so, all you terrorists, plug your ears right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so I worry about things thank, like thank that. Thank goodness, yeah. there's only a few people that actually listen to us. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. We don't. We don't have a huge following right now, but. Um, yeah, very interesting. So, you know, I, I know that like CWD back east is becoming more and more of an issue. There's lots of people talking about it. There's a lot being done about it nowadays. Not a whole lot here, but from the sounds of it, we're not finding a whole lot. Um, no, so we've got a small pocket of it for sure. So, so our, we are uh, approaching it to stop the spread. Mm -hmm. So, so we regulate our our game parks. We regulate them uh, quite thoroughly, mm -hmm. and I th they are they they they're on board with this. They're very compliant, and they're very worried themselves. And so so uh, they've I think they tend to comply and follow the rules. And then we're trying to make sure that in those areas where we do have wasting disease, that we don't have a lot of tissues that might carry the the prions leaving the area. And so so that's our our main management. Back east and in other places where they have really high deer densities, they're trying to lower densities, and you know we don't have we don't we just don't have high densities like that in, in Mexico. Mexico. Yeah, yeah, they're already low, and and we're not seeing spread like they do back east. Yeah. So so I think I think right now our best approach is to try to limit the movement of these prions around the state. Now we. Uh, <clears throat> Kind of in preparing for this for this podcast, um, we talked about a video that, that we shared on on our Facebook yeah. page uh, recently about uh, an announcement out of Pennsylvania uh, on some research that's being done in possible Do future. Doctor Frank um, Bastian. Bastian. Yeah, some possible future yeah. uh, cures and things like that. And I thought it was very interesting what you were saying about uh, about the time that you spent following CWD and then the so-called cures that have come along versus versus you know we showed a little bit of that to you what, yeah. what's your thoughts on that? yeah well uh, I'm I'm quite tickled that Dr. Bastian now is getting some attention with with his alternative theory because because uh, because the mainstream theory is the prions. is the prions yeah and so he has uh, an idea about another organism related to a bacteria called spiroplasm. And he's, he's been a proponent of that for a long, long time. And the greater scientific community hasn't paid much attention to it. Now, if he can, if he can do some work 
that shows that he can affect uh, uh, chronic wasting disease by manipulating and, and uh, treating spiroplasms, that would be groundbreaking. Yeah. And so, so, so rather than uh, like, like some mainstream scientists might be, might be inclined to do and say, no, it's got to be this other model, I'm really, I'm really pleased to see that we've got people looking in other areas. Because uh, because we because we don't understand prions, and if it's not uh, prion, so-called prion, and it's something else, that might give us a better shot at treating and dealing with the disease. Yeah, well, and it comes back to the the scientific method of if you've got other people with other theories, we can start disproving. Can disprove. Yeah. Exactly. What's yeah. going on, and, yeah. and start narrowing it down. So right. yeah, I think right. I think you're right on that. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So I'm, I'm very pleased, and and uh, I'm anxious to see some of his work now get a little bit more attention. Yeah, yeah. It'd be really cool, um, you know, because what he's talking about it, it it has much wider ramifications than just CWD. Yeah. I mean, he's talking right. about in all forms of animal, you know, deer, sheep, moose, mink, right. yeah. um, as maybe, well as as well as humans. humans. Yeah. 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 So maybe. so if he's right, which you know. Um, I'm I'm of the mindset that I would rather him be right and cure everybody than wrong and us not have a cure. Me too. Um, <laughs> Me too. So so if he's right, that could be that could be huge. It yeah. Could be a real big yeah. deal. So different, you know, different ideas have come and gone over the years, mm -hmm. and and uh, I've seen other announcements of cures and treatments and vaccines, and and none of, and also testing field tests. And none of these things have, have played out so far. And so all, all we can do is hope for the best and right. see if, right. if this will, will play on out and be good. Let me ask you a question, and this is just from a, you know, a, a layman's terms. Um, when, they, when that video came out, I mean, it was very fact of the matter. It wasn't we think, we think it's that video come out and said, we're going to have a cure in 12 to 18 months. Yeah. And then a few months after that, we're going to cure this. And a few months after that, we're going to cure this. All the way to four years from now, we're going to cure CJD, Alzheimer's, and um, what's the other one? Uh, Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, and they were very fact of the matter. Is that how things are normally released? Or, or, because it was very fact of the matter. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it really, they really made you say, this is, this is fact, not. Yeah. The theory. Yeah. You know, so yeah. that, that's the way they presented it. Is that normally how things are presented when, yeah. like you said, there was yeah. other people that had, so yeah. that's just standard operating yeah. procedure. Yeah, it is. And, and, and see, part of that's because whoever's on board with these things, they're going to, they're going to make an awful lot of money. Mm -hmm. uh, and it always goes back. To always. The goes back to the <laughs> All about the Benjamins. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, 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 uh, so on that on that release, they want to make they, they want to play it so that they are as positive as possible, and that if it doesn't work, uh, if we ignore it, they they paint a real dire uh, alternative for us. And so, so yeah, I've seen I've seen a number of those kinds of announcements. Well, I, yeah. I would imagine that that type of announcement is going to garner. Financial yeah. support for yeah. the for Frank Bastion right. doing the research right. and it's mm -hmm. going to boost his ability to really yeah uh, that would, that 
that would make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm more of a cautious guy. I'd say, well, we think yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And me, I'm not, not me. I mean, I'm even more cautious. I'm not going to say a thing until I come out and yeah. say, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but then again, you may not be able to get it done until you have that funding. Yeah. And how the best way to get the funding is to jump up and say, I can do it, guaranteed. So I can see that. Yeah, we'll see how this goes. Yeah, interesting. Well, Carrie, okay. um, there's another another part of your job that that I'd like to talk about a little bit because uh, it's it's interesting to me at least. Um, you teach uh, most all the new game wardens, uh, the wildlife immobilization, and all the drugs and stuff, and that's kind of a mysterious mysterious world if you if you're mysterial. not in it. What? <laughs> Shut up. Mysterial. Mysterial world. <laughs> Kind of a mysterious, yeah. you know, yeah. world if you're not in it. And so, um, tell us a little bit about that and how yeah. it's changed over the years and yeah. and all that. Well, I kind of always uh, found it interesting uh, too. When I was a student at BYU, we had uh, some anesthetics, and and I worked in the uh, I was a teaching assistant in the physiology lab. And so I had access to, to those things and access to the rats, and, and so I did quite a bit with uh, anesthesia and rats uh, and, and enjoyed it, found it really interesting. And when I came to New Mexico, I had uh, some understanding of some of these agents and how they worked. And so they just kind of said, here, you take care of the drug program. I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and so at the time we had this metal cabinet full of, full of our, our drugs uh, and, and it was unlocked and it was in that metal cabinet so that uh, anybody could take whatever they needed. And wildlife agencies, that was typical. Uh, we flew below the radar of, I think, DEA and FDA uh, and always had and nobody worried about it. And, uh, and we bought drugs in, in different ways and... Uh, it was not a not a big problem, uh, but uh, uh, in the mid '90s, uh, the DEA uh, began to clamp down on that kind of thing, and so we 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 had to run a program that complied with with our drug laws, and so I wound up uh, kind of running that that drug program, and and still do, and it's one of my favorite parts uh, of my job. But uh, along with that. We we lost some drugs, and so so over the years I've I've been able to see drugs change, but in those early days, uh, we used to buy drugs, and the drug suppliers would explain to you how to concentrate them, because see we had to reduce the volume to a volume that we could shoot in a dart, so we need to get a dose down to about two or three milliliters, two or three cc's. And so, so we buy these drugs from these companies and, and the, their instructions, and I'm not kidding about this, were to pour it into a pan and set it on the radiator until... Until it, the, tell it, until that, the that, amount you wanted yeah, was... That's yeah, funny. Yeah, that's <laughs> really funny. That's right. that's that right. seems safe. That's Let's right. do that. And, so, and, and we all did that kind of thing. Uh, but when DEA clamped down on us, we couldn't. Uh, and... And uh, that, that kind of thing uh, to, to alter drugs and then, and then re-bottle it <laughs> is very illegal. 
<laughs> so, so we had to quit doing it. But, but that also made it so that we didn't have potent drugs now. And so instead of a 3cc dart, uh, I was calculating doses, and we were going to have to start shooting uh, darts that were 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 cc's. And, and we didn't have uh, equipment. We still don't have equipment that can deliver that kind of a dart. It's so massive that to hit an animal with, with that much weight is just going to injure it no matter what you shoot it out of. Uh, and and so, so I went on a big search trying to, to find out what kinds of alternatives we had. And uh, at that time, the, the, the World Wide Web didn't exist, but uh, the Internet did. And it was, it was uh, pure information. There, wasn't, uh, there weren't pictures, there wasn't color, but there was all kinds of information. And uh, I that learned. Must have been exhausting. Was right. exhausting, and mostly I found. <laughs> and it was usually on a, it was probably on a green screen, right? Yeah, yeah. green screen. Yeah. Stress yeah. your eyes out. Yeah, green screen, and uh, and mostly what I found was uh, uh, illicit uses of these drugs. I didn't find. I did not find an answer to to our problem, uh, but we so we started to experiment with other drugs, and and then through time we found other immobilizing agents that we could that we could use. Uh, and we went, we went back to work. And then since that time, uh, I've been able to see uh, new drugs hit the market. We've used them, and they've been very, very nice. So, so what's some just, of the stuff that you started out with? We, we started out with, with uh, ketamine mixed with xylosine. And it's interesting. So <clears throat> I've never dealt with it, but uh, you know, ketamine is interesting story from, from the game warden world. Uh, when that became a popular street dog yeah. drug, uh, yeah. game warden trucks started getting targeted because right. they knew that they had the ketamine in there. Yep. Along with veterinary yeah. clinics. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was an early one. And now, now ketamine's uh, back in the news again now as a human treatment for, for uh, acute depression. They found that it just puts you to sleep and you're not depressed anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for, for people who uh, have depression and are, are to the point of suicidal, I guess it's a, just a game changer for them. Oh, interesting. They, they can, they can uh, get a dose, a proper dose of it, and it will change their lives overnight. Really? Really, really pretty neat thing, actually. Oh, interesting. So we used ketamine and xylosine. Uh, but to buy it, they come at one concentration, and we, we, we couldn't get it at a higher concentration. So in all of this, I did find a, a pharmacist in South Carolina, and he was licensed, and he could concentrate it. And the cost, uh, the cost just went sky high when, when, he, when we had to use him. Uh, Got a monopoly on the he market. Had, he did. Yeah. He had a monopoly on it, had special licensing to do it, uh, and would do it, and so we just we just paid through the teeth for it for a little while, and then and then uh, some of the other drug companies introduced some other drugs like telazole, so we used telazole uh, for for many many years. Still use it, great drug, and it's so safe, and we can mix it uh, and use it mixed with water. We can use it and mix it with xylosine. Uh, it's very effective, but it doesn't reverse, and it tends to metabolize. And leave the animal uh, slowly, so that leaves an animal vulnerable 
for a long time, and it leaves the game warden babysitting these animals <laughs> for a long, long, long time. So, so, uh, but it, but but I still like it mostly because it's so safe and, and easy to use for game wardens. Real easy to use, as opposed to let's uh, let's say you know there's another big one in the news right now, just uh, fentanyl. Yeah, and you guys on a very limited basis use carfentanyl. Carfentanil, which is uh, uh, much more potent than fentanyl, and and much more much more uh, deadly, and and because of of the uh, opiate crisis, DEA has taken away now our access to fentanyl, or carfentanil, and uh, so so we no longer have that drug, which was which was really a great drug. For, for immobilizing large animals really fast that were really stressed. So really worked, if they were really worked up, uh, we, could, we could immobilize them with carfentanil. The other drugs won't do the same job when an animal is really, really stressed or really, really excited. Yeah. We can't, we can't immobilize them. Yeah, and so you're more likely to lose animals yeah. due to the stress. Maybe not immediately, but um, you know when you're doing uh, trapping a transplant, those animals yeah. are, yeah, if they get really really stressed, are likely not to make it right, and you're you're gonna have a casualty. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. So 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 that's a problem, and we've got some uh, some other uh, cocktails now that that. Do a pretty that good sounds job. so nice, doesn't it? Right. It's just getting a little cocktail. <laughs> little cocktail. It's a party, people. <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever been to a trap and a transplant, it is a party. It's a party. <laughs> it's a good time. <laughs> uh, so, so we're 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 having to use those in place of carfentanil, uh, but uh, there's another another drug I think coming to us that will replace carfentanil. Uh, that's that's. A real nice drug, and probably a smoother induction from this mm -hmm. next drug coming out than carfentanil gave us. Uh, but uh, the other, the other nice thing uh, about some of these new drugs is they don't they don't leave the uh, humans at quite so much risk. We never had an accident with carfentanil, so we don't know what a lethal dose would be, but we do know that it's not very very much. To kill a human with that with that drug, and that would you could get it on your skin and absorb it. It could it could get on your skin and absorb. It could uh, get on your skin and get in a cut, or you could have an accidental injection, or or some sort of a, an explosion get it in your eyes and nose, and uh, and we know that that uh, it's effective on humans and can be aerosolized and and broadcast to humans and it'll kill them. And, and uh, uh, we think that uh, when the Russians went into the movie theater uh, where the Chechen rebel, rebels some years ago held uh, the, the uh, they were hostages, uh, we think that the Russian, the Russian government broadcast carfentanil into that, into that movie theater. And if you remember the story, when they, when they went in then to take out the, the rebels who held the hostages, they found the hostages and the rebels, everybody, everybody dead. Everybody was dead. Yeah, everybody was yeah dead. I remember that. 
vaguely. Yeah. But that was, yeah. I think I was very young when that happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a few years ago. We think that was probably carfentanil that they used. Very interesting. Very so, real generally, um, for people who haven't, most people haven't uh, been in that world and dealt dealt with immobilizing animals and things like that. Uh, what what do those what do those drugs do? What's the effect on the animal, and and why why do you like to use those? Uh, the because are, it's a fine line. Uh, you know, you want to stop them from breathing right. but right. you want them to keep them keep you from kicking kicking you in the face <laughs> you do you do and and so so some of these agents and many of the many of these agents have a uh, depressive effect on respiration most of them don't depress heart rate but it's respiration and and so so uh, right now what what some of these cocktails are really aiming to do is deliver some of these effective agents, but not quite so much, so that we don't we don't uh, put these animals at risk of suffocation. And and the way they do that then uh, is is to mix a few other drugs, and that way those with an acute effect on respiration can be decreased. And uh, Right now, we're using one that uses a mild opiate, uh, a tranquilizer, and a sedative. Those three agents together. Now, the sedative, uh, the sedative part of that cocktail has the greatest depressive effect on, on heart rate, but it's also got an analgesic effect. It removes pain. And so, so, so to decrease that and protect respiration, but to be able to protect the animal from pain, and then still be able to immobilize it with with the addition of these uh, these two other uh, moieties of drugs, is really really big for us. Yeah. And and it's these are reversible, so we can capture the animal, uh, we can have it asleep, we can work with it, and then we can get it back up, and uh, and that leaves the animal uh, not at risk of predation. Right. And we can get them right Dana really should be here. She would be. Dana would love this. She would be eating it. <laughs> she would. Yeah, absolutely. She, she, and she'd have a ton more questions than I have. That's for sure. Yeah. So with the humans and and with Dana, uh, we're we we now are using a lot of the benzodiazepines. Mm-hmm. So I bet so, you she knows that word. So, uh, <laughs> and 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 so with with our animals, we're we're finding those to be really helpful with induction of some of these drugs. And so, so the benzodiazepines, have, have, uh, they've also gained a lot of attention in human medicine because people, people like the feeling they get from the benzodiazepines. And so, so benzodiazepines have often been used as a, uh, uh, like an anti-anxiety medication. Hmm. Uh, and, and so as it turns out with people, a lot of the same people who have chronic pain mm-hmm. also have anxiety problems as, as well. So they go to, to the doctor and he's given them, you know, historically given them an, an opiate. And then it gets potentiated by the other doctor giving them benzodiazepines. So all these drugs work together and, and people have just really, really enjoyed that cocktail. Nice. <laughs> 
good. But yeah, we're doing the same thing for wildlife, and, and, and it works really, really well. So lots of times we don't want to immobilize the animal. We just want to reduce the stress as we move it. Yeah. So we've been experimenting a lot with benzodiazepines to potentiate some of the tranquilizers, and that's allowed us to, to get the tranquilizers in fast. Yeah, basically make sure that they just don't have any yeah. anxiety. Exactly. Which exactly. they're going to have there in a trailer going exactly. from northern New Mexico yeah. to Mexico. That's uh, right. As a case of right. pronghorn that we just traded. We're so. pronghorn. So, so it used to be when I first worked for the department, when we would go do an antelope trap, we calculated, in, in our calculations, we calculated a 15% mortality loss. Mm -hmm. And now, now um, and I think it's because we use some of these sedatives, we keep these animals calmer, we have less than 5% mortality. Nice. I think... Oftentimes it's less than yeah. about 2%. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think uh, on that last trap, did we have a mortality at all? I, I, there, there was one mortality when they got to Mexico. That was the only one. Yeah, yeah. no, no pre-travel mortality at all. So, so yeah. were, were you a part of the project of the the big horns that they moved down to uh, the Sacramento's in in Unit yes. Thirty Four? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we and we did the same there. We we uh, we tranquilized those animals because. You know, as we capture them through the day, there's some time that goes by. So that first guy that goes into the trailer, he has to stay in that trailer, and he's stressed all day long. Mm -hmm. And so, so we try to keep them as calm as, as we can, and we're using some of those drugs to do that. And we think it's really helping us out. And so we did that on, those, uh, on that Sacramento release. Very nice. Yeah. And, you know, sheep, sheep travel really well. But some of the other animals, animals like uh, deer and pronghorn, they are much more nervous, and so I think these drugs are more critical for those species, and and they are and they're working. They're working really well for us. Very nice. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. I could I could sit here and listen to you talk all day, Carrie. You just got a ton of information, <laughs> but uh, well, we we should probably let you. Let you get on with your day. So All right. All we right. we really really appreciate you coming. Really yes. appreciate the yeah. and have third. I I speaking for me. I you know I don't really. If you guys if you guys out in listening land didn't like it, I don't care. I, I thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed this this conversation. It, it is so cool to hear about this stuff and, and it's very interesting. Uh, you've got a, a career long of of cool stories and we've only heard a fraction of it so it's been it's been a good career it has been it, it has been very rich and rewarding so very good well again we appreciate it and, okay and uh well maybe we'll catch up with some more stories down the line all right okay all right. Thanks, thank you Gary. yeah good thanks for joining us guys adios, adios. Thanks for joining Nada Grande Outdoors Podcast. Come follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And don't forget about our website, www.nadagrandeoutdoors.com. Adios. Adios.